And you're tuned into Woman. You know, it's a woman crush Wednesday. And if I'm not your woman crush on this Wednesday, I don't know who is. This is who, this is where you should be on Cliff Central and radio. And this is Womandla. You can catch us. You can talk to us. You can WeChat us. You know all the handles at Pumima Shekho One. But I've also got a very special lady in the house today. She is absolutely awesome, absolutely amazing female, but also the founder of Play Africa Children's Museum. Gretchen, what's your Twitter handle? At GLWN. <laughs> GLWN and at Play Africa. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. But before I move on to that, I have something for you. It's a competition. As you know, we're turning one. Cliff Central is turning one. And to celebrate, we're giving away half a million rands worth of smartphones. You can win just by listening out for the competition <laughs> question on Cliff Central. Submit your answer on WeChat by tapping connect, then competition on the menu. If you want an upgrade or need a new smartphone, we'll hook you up with the Samsung Galaxy S4. Win with the Cliff Central and WeChat for the month of April. Visit cliffcentral.com for details and, as always, T's and C's apply. And the question for this hour, which is why I'm reading it nice and early, so that you don't get caught up in our conversation. What feathery creature was featured on Animal Central earlier today? That's the question. Hit us up on WeChat. Give us your answer. And at the end of the show, we're going to be announcing the winner. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Pumi. And I was um, just before the start of the show telling you, I'm feeling a little bit down today. Mm. This is such a fun topic. We're talking about play. We're talking about mm. playing. We're talking about connecting as mm. families with our children. Mm. But I think that the, the bigger thing that's kind of weighing down on the collective soul of a lot of South Africans, mm. judging from my timeline on Twitter, judging from my timeline on Facebook, is that there's a lot of hurt and mm. anger happening out mm. there there's definitely especially in guazulu natal and we've got all of those people in our minds and in our prayers and in our hearts but there's a lot of anger and hurt and and fear lots of fear yeah and getting ready for this show and i think this is so appropriate i didn't know how i was gonna be talking about such a fun thing like playing mm. and and having fun mm. when there's all of this happening but when i was getting ready for this show just mm learning about the importance of play for children yeah. and interpersonal relationships. Maybe that's where we can start our conversation today. Yeah. You do a lot of work in that space. Yeah. And you know all about that. So tell me about why mm. you play Africa, such a cool name. Mm. Why play Africa and what's a children's museum? Thanks for asking and thanks for giving me this opportunity. And so I want to say hi to all your listeners. Um, and also just want to mention it, uh, the handle for us on Twitter, uh, Play Africa is Play Africa CM for Children's Museum at Play Africa CM. Um, but getting into the question, I think you're really right to kind of start off with the reality that so many people are living in today and the kind of the anger, the hurt, the trauma, the fear, um, the frustration that so many South Africans are sitting with on a day like today. I think you mentioned, like you say, on, on our social media timelines, we see so much about this anxiety about what's happening in KZN, but also about today, these kind of rumors that are going around about something happening today in the CBD, in the Hillbrow, Berea, Yeovil space. And, you know, there are children who are staying kind of in lockdown in schools in those areas today because they're afraid to um, go home on their own the way that they normally would. They want to be fetched by their parents later today. And that's the reality that so many children are facing in our cities, um, not just in South Africa, I mean, not just in KZN and not just in Hauteng, but we see it in PE, we see it elsewhere. So that's the reality in which we're, we're creating the space um, to build Play Africa Children's Museum. And, you know, play is, like you say, it's, it's what it is, it's about bringing people together. Play, you know, is universally and kind of increasingly understood in the uh, space around neuroscience as being kind of so formative, 
to prepare children for later learning opportunities and igniting a love of learning. Um, really, play is really about free, self-directed um, expression. It's a really integral part of early learning and healthy emotional and social development. And researchers increasingly around the world, every year we're seeing more of this evidence that play really sparks imagination. It really promotes um, creativity and problem-solving capacities. It promotes teamwork. And then importantly about this topic that you're talking about, it really instills a deep sense of empathy and compassion for others. And when we can play together, we can learn to live together. So I think as most adults, mm. we've kind of forgotten mm. what playing really is like. And you kind of watch kids and, and watch them playing and you think it comes so naturally yeah. to children. Um, but, but as a family, as a parent, mm. a mother with a child, mm. you can be part of that play mm. And that's what your space is also about. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and the opportunities there of getting to know your children? Yeah. So children's museums exist around the world, and they are spaces that are tend to be a nonprofit kind of big public space that invites families and their children to come together in one space to play together and learn through play together. So they're not places that are only about children kind of going into a bouncing jumping castle or um, a ball pitch or something like that. They're, they're much more um, created around learning and, and stimulating learning through play, but they're done in a way that are really adult-friendly and captivating for adults as well. And they exist around around the world. Um, what we're building here is the first of this kind of space for this age group of children 0 to 10 and their families that's ever been done before in South Africa. So it's really exciting. Oh, Africa. Oh, yes, and broadly in Africa. There are some other kinds of really exciting projects um, all around the continent. Um, including one emerging children's museum that is starting some programming and has started programming in Senegal, um, and then several others in Nigeria, Kenya, um, Egypt, um, uh, and beyond. And we're really in touch with them and support the work that they're doing. But we're the first of, of the size and scale that we know about um, on the continent that we're doing here. So... Um, you know, broadly, and we just want to kind of give a shout out to all those other pioneers that we really are deeply supporting and, and connecting with around the continent. Um, so, you know, what we're really trying to do is create that space for those, for, for the adults to spend time with the children in their lives and for the children to spend time with the adults who love them. And what we really are trying to do is create a space that really invites every family, no matter their background, how they're constructed. You know, every family is a whole family and we really want to invite every family to come to this space as we are, um, as we build it, as we open our doors to really spend time with the children in their lives and create those really happy memories through play. And, I've just recently been thinking about this now that Ganech was seven, you know, and kind of weren't aware of how little there is of the kind of space where it's safe mm. for children to play, where, where, par because I have an experience of having grown up in the township and mm. you just always being told to go and play outside. Yeah. There's always a parent saying, mm. you know, that's just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're always being told, because, yeah. the, because the space in the home and in the mm. yard is actually so, so small. small. Yeah. And because there's other things happening, there's yeah. other work happening, there's taking care of, of the business of taking care of a home yeah. that children just get underfoot yeah. and get in your way. Mm. So even today when I drive through Soweto, mm. where I'm from, mm. is you always see groups of kids just, mm running or walking or mm -hmm. playing in the streets. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that. But mm -hmm. having moved outside of the township, mm -hmm. suddenly find myself going, I can't tell my child to go and play outside. Mm -hmm. And all I want to do, actually, mm -hmm. a lot is, is exactly that. It's <laughs> yeah. to just say, <clears throat> yeah. but there's nobody to play with outside. Mm -hmm. I think the reality mm -hmm. of living in built-up areas, mm -hmm. as we do here in Joburg in particular, mm -hmm. is townhouses, lots of... Big yards with high walls. No, if there's, if you don't have a sibling, mm. you're fucked. Mm. <laughs> there's, there's, I can say that here. <laughs> there's no one to play with. Mm. And so a lot of children spend time mm. watching TV mm, because absolutely. it gives you, because children need stimulation mm, as absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. You know, we, we've done a lot of research with families over the last two years in South Africa and look at a lot of the unique situations that really cross a lot of uh, families from different backgrounds, right? So there's there's the ongoing inequality in early learning education, you know, the gap 
between the have and the have nots in terms of access to kind of early learning stimulation, quality early, early learning. Um, and there's also this issue around social connectedness or social isolation. Right. So we find that across sectors, across uh, backgrounds, we're finding children, whether they live in a um, economically disadvantaged home or an economically advantaged home, you still find some of the same issues around social isolation of those children. Um, sometimes in which a child from the most posh areas is actually feeling more si- socially isolated because of the beha- behind the hall, high walls or, um, you know, the kind of the constraints of not being able to engage with children from other backgrounds is kept inside, kept in the home, um, et cetera. So um, that's another thing that really cr- cuts across boundaries. But there's also this issue that you're talking about, parents under stress, um, families under stress. And that goes because some ch- some families are um, uh, underemployed uh, or unemployed. But also there are families with high-powered two-parent, you know, in the home, but high-powered positions that take them out of the home so much. Um, and this real sense of kind of parents feeling like for all these various reasons, they're not able to find these spaces for quality you know, time with their children away from work and home distractions, right? So you're looking, they're looking for these opportunities to spend quality time, create these happy memories. And there are some of those offerings here in Johannesburg, but we, we want to really create a, something that's entirely new um, and so exciting that really is a draw for people who want to have those kinds of uh, memories with their children. So what interested you in the study of play. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I hear about it and have Mm. read about it, I think this is such a cool idea. Why didn't (laughs) I think of this? If I spent all day, every day thinking about playing and coming up with new ways. It's fun, yeah. What attracted you to this? Because you come from a totally different different background. background. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because my, my background started actually as a trade union activist. And it was through becoming a trade union activist that I really started to see that was based in the U.S. You can tell I've got a U.S. accent. Um, oh, I thought you were from Wazul. Gifunda. Gifunda. Gangwane, gangwane. Gangwane, gangwane, sister. Um, so, um, you know, we, we, I, I was working as a trade union organizer and then over time really wanted to get involved in much more understanding the, the, the issues around globalization around the world and how, um, how globalization was was really making an impact on on everyday people's lives, and so I really thought that maybe the way to do that would be to become a journalist. And so I went to journalism school and uh, moved here to Johannesburg to work as a correspondent, um, trying to tell a different story about Africa um, to listeners back home to a radio program there called Marketplace. Um, it's got about eight million listeners, and so it was a big opportunity for me to kind of try to find profiles of interesting people across this continent, mostly really in, in uh, southern and eastern Africa telling the stories of, of how people were making a living, how they were um, coming up with innovative ideas to address some of the challenges in their lives. And um, doing so really made me passionate about telling a different kind of story about the possibility and potential, not just in South Africa, but on the continent as a whole. And in doing that, I, over time, really started to feel like maybe my skill set could be better used to, to build things here in South Africa, Johannesburg has been my home since 2004. And, you know, I was really putting a lot of energy into creating this product that ultimately was being broadcast in the U.S. for an American audience. And the networks and the people and the relationships I was building, um, I felt like maybe we could harness that in a different way for something really positive that really is about modeling the world that we want to live in. And so that's where I think really broadly we are building a, a children's museum, a space for children to come together and play together. But it's also for families to come together. It's to bring families together and to bring communities together. So we talk a lot about our broad vision, which is inspiring children, which is about strengthening families and all families, and really transforming communities. So we recently presented at the South African Cities Network um, at their annual urban development conference on the way we really see this is about making a concerted investment in children and families in a way that really transforms some of that apartheid-era spatial planning. You know, the city, if you look at a map today, remains very, very divided. And how can we create opportunities to, to, to create spaces that are bridging spaces that can bring people together in a way that, um, in a, in a really a, ultimately kind of a neutral space that invites every family and every, every child to come and have a really w- world class and extraordinary experience to, to learn through hands on and interactive play spaces and, and to do that in a way that, that breaks down some of those barriers and to see each other and to, to recognize our common humanity in a way that, um, we don't see a lot of spaces that are, that are intentionally built to kind of create that opportunity to, to come together in that space. And I think what we will 
find and what we do find is that really resonates with people and it really gets people excited about what we're doing. It is very exciting. And, and I remember bumping into you when mm. at the beginning. Mm. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Very beginning, and mm. and the, the joy and the excitement that yeah. you had in your voice, yeah. and I couldn't quite picture what it is. Yeah. And now you have been on this journey for mm. two years. Mm. I, first of all, that's <laughs> shocking to me. Two <laughs> years later, and you've come a very long way yeah. because two years ago you were still speaking to us as friends, as communities. Yeah. Um, and you were able to express this, but now you're at a place where you're about to take off. Yeah. Um, this two-year journey. Yeah. How far are you to us walking into yeah, the children's museum? So what we've we've really wanted to take a, an approach that we don't want to just plop in um, an existing children's museum from somewhere else in the world into Johannesburg. We just don't think that would work in the long term. What we really decided to do from the very beginning with our team was to really take a very strategic and really measured approach about how do we create a treasured institution for this city and for this country, um, and to do so in a way that was deeply, deeply collaborative. So from the beginning in that two, those first two years, it was a lot of reaching out to leaders in business and in government and civil society and asking a lot of questions and doing a lot of listening about what kind of space they could envision for this this kind of space. You know, technically, it's not very difficult to build a children's museum. You can see examples at 350 different spaces around the world today. I mean, most urban centers um, across several continents, you can go and say, where's the local children's museum? It's a term that many international travelers will throw around as if everyone knows what that means. But what we found here is that the term children's museum, first of all, conjures up a lot of different ideas in people's minds. Um, it harkens back to the past for many people. It conjures up ideas of apartheid era museums. Well, when I first spoke to you, mm. I had never heard the, ch- yeah. the term children's yeah. museum. And all I could think of was I could think about that trip to that Pretoria, mm. <laughs> the museum with the dinosaur in the front yeah. in Pretoria. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and walking through vast halls yeah. of stuff as a group of kids. And I'm sure a lot of people listening yeah. today are kind of thinking, you yeah. Really? Museum, I know. <laughs> See, the, we've, we've actually started, we've actually stopped using the term museum actually on first reference because we found that we did some research and we found that 96% of South Africans, um, you know, didn't understand, they, they conjured up the idea of a, a very traditional museum, that kind, that exact kind of museum that you're talking about. And the, the reality. The Natural Science Museum. Precisely. In Pretoria. Right. right. <laughs> and, and so what was, what really happened was there was a real shift for us and we started to realize, you know, that's certainly not what we're doing. But if you go to a place like New York City, there are six children's museums in New York City. So as a parent, or as a tourist, you can say, which children's museum are we going to go to today? What kind of experience do we want to have today out of all of this offering of this kind of, uh, again, nonprofit space that is built with a child and the family at the center to have really quality early learning and play experiences together and to build memories together. So what we realized is that children's museum was, was conjuring up an idea for people, especially given the realities of this country that kind of sounds like kind of an afterthought, like, well, this is a nice to have, but it's not a have to have. We have really started to realize that the term children's museum was turning people, you know, off about that idea. We also did some really interesting research, Pumila, about, um, with children, with families from all different backgrounds. So we interviewed, um, through, uh, with some work with the Vega school of brand leadership, um, out, reached out to to more than 200 families from all different backgrounds. And some really interesting data came back from that, which was that 80, uh, 87% of all respondents, of all families, said that they thought a space like this, once they saw the pictures and what they were to do, they thought it was going to be um, really useful and really exciting for their children. But 13% said that they didn't think it was going to be useful or exciting for their children. Why and not? That's why we wanted to know. So we found out that the 13% were all from families in the LSMs 1, 2, 3, so the ones that economically most disadvantaged homes. And the three reasons that they cited were, one, they were afraid their children would be exposed to propaganda that they didn't, didn't believe in. Two, they felt like their children might, um, potentially, there's a fear expressed that they might, and this is in the term of the researchers, become overeducated too quickly and then separate from family values 
too early. And then third was that they were afraid that their children would be ridiculed by other children. So ridiculed. We, yeah, this is the, this is what the response was. And so that is really fascinating data for us to think about because what we want to create and we want to be very intentional about this is creating a space that really feels that every single person can walk in the door and feel that they're at home. And how do you respond mm. to that? How do you respond to to creating a space in South Africa we're so different mm. on a lot of Different yeah. measurements. Yeah. So they are economic, they are racial, they yeah. are, mm-hmm. they, are just so many different mm-hmm. things yeah. that, that can be looked at and go, when you're thinking about a target audience, as yeah. it were. Yeah. So how do you, how have you mm-hmm. overcome that? Mm-hmm. So you, you've done all this research, mm-hmm. all of this data comes back. Mm-hmm. How have you overcome that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, what we we really take it very much to heart because what we want to we see ourselves as trying to do something that's not really been done on a scale like this before in post-apartheid South Africa. How big is the museum going to be? Well, we're really looking to serve. I mean, honestly, but about two hundred thousand visitors a year. That's a lot. Yeah, I saw your eyes go big. <laughs> Let me tell you, <laughs> listeners, your eyes just went big. Um, and that's really quite conservative. And I think it's really important to acknowledge the unique situation that Johannesburg and South Africa, um, the position that we're in globally. How but so? I think it's like what you're saying in terms of we're so different because we have all these differences. But, you know, I went to a, a international global kind of meeting of, of these kinds of spaces last year, and I was so humbled by so many other existing spaces that exist that are facing some similar questions that we're facing here. So I kind of went in there thinking, oh gosh, well, South Africa is so different, guys. You don't even know what we're dealing with. You have no idea. I kind of went in this, this real <laughs> sense of like, almost like a chip on my shoulder. Like, guys, you We've know. We've got real we're, things we're to building deal the most with here. In- incredible place because we're doing something that nobody else is doing. And then really kind of humbly learning about places that exist around the world that are wrestling with some of these same questions. So, um, one of the great, greatest examples is an, in Mexico City, Papalote Children's Museum, which has been existent, uh, been in existence for 21 years, I think 22 years nearly. They see 750,000 visitors a year, three quarters of a million people. It's one of the most popular tourist destinations in the whole state of, of Mexico City, the DF. And, um, in doing so, they've really built a cultural institution that is really about welcoming children from all different backgrounds. And if you look at Mexico City and the economic indicators of that city with regard to income inequality, with regard to the security and peace index kind of in terms of uh, hostility in the city uh, when it comes to violence against uh, uh, residents, you know, you're dealing with a lot of the same um, same challenges, same socioeconomic challenges. And here they managed to see three quarters of a million people a year because they've made a decision there to prioritize the needs of children and families and create an incredible world-class, world-leading space that serves children and families from all backgrounds and doing so in a way that's really vibrant and alive that makes it a real hub, not just for the children, but they have adult nights where they have jazz and poetry and cocktail evenings and to get parents to come through to have time to spend time together in this really exciting and innovative space. So a lot of the, I mean, going back to your question, you asked about how do I deal with that? I think, you know, our team is wrestling with these questions every single day and we are so passionate about finding some new and unique ways to, to model stuff um, here in South Africa that not only can be illustrative to the rest of South Africa, but really the rest of the world. And we see that again. And, you know, I thought that we would have really little to learn from children's museums, for example, in the United States. But some of the best connections I made at this conference were with, for example, the Children's Museum um, in Mississippi, which dealt with a really horrible history of of discrimination, segregation, and is really had this vision to create a space that would bring together children from across the state in a space in a way that would get children to come together and play together for the first time in this kind of world-class environment. And so there was really a lot to learn from them. The Children's Museum in Detroit, Michigan, and the Children's Museum in Hawaii, um, really dealing with a lot of issues around income inequalities in that space. How do you how do you bring children together and create a common ground in which every child can access everything equally, can come together and play together? And one of the one of the things that was really powerful for me was when I was speaking to a director of a children's museum in Washington State, uh, in the United States. They've been really a, a mentor for us and. Um, it was where I had the first idea kind of originally. Any, actually, it's called Imagine Children's Museum in Everett, Washington. And um, in speaking with uh, the director of a children's museum there was talking about seeing a child that she knew was a child of a multimillionaire playing alongside at the same exhibit with a child that she knew who was 
homeless and sleeping in their car. And they didn't know that about each other, but they were playing together in the same environment. And she knew about the economic realities of those families uh, and those children. But the children didn't know about each other. They were just playing together. And that's the kind of power of these kinds of spaces is to create these neutral common grounds where people can just can just be kids. Kids can just be kids. Kids can just play. And, you know, one of the things that was really funny I heard from another parent, she was talking about how uh, on a Monday at breakfast, her son was talking about Emily, Emily this, my friend Emily that, my friend Emily this. And she was like, who's Emily? You know, she thought it was a, she thought it was a, 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 an imaginary friend. But this child was like, no, mom, Emily, who I met at the children's museum on the weekend. Don't you remember? That was my new friend. And, you know, she didn't know who this child was, but the fact was like, these are the, in that child's mind, that was this child's new friend. And that's the, how friendships are formed. And that's really what we're trying to create is a space where those kinds of friendships can start to emerge. I'm going to let you catch your breath. Okay. Take a small break. Okay. And when we come back, I really want to chat about the themes sure. that, that are, that I mm. play that you're putting together mm. into your museum. Okay. Thanks. They say, if you want to succeed, you have to go to school. If you want to be big and strong, you need to eat good. No matter what, there's nothing more important than family. There are so many children like me in South Africa that also don't have any of these things. If you could change this, would you? By clicking a like button on Facebook, you can help get children from cradle to career with Africa Tukun. Visit likechange.africatukun.org. It has been locked away from the eyes of the world. Chained, never to be released. But now, it wants to get out. Stay tuned to Clef Central weekdays to find out how you can unleash the Jeep Renegade. Find hidden codes and videos posted by Jeep SA and you could win Jeep Renegade prizes. As well as become the person to single-handedly unleash the Jeep Renegade upon the shores of South Africa. Are you Renegade enough? Visit unleashrenegade.co.za to find out. T's and C's apply. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Cliffcentral.com. We're talking all about the good stuff here on Cliffcentral.com. I'm Pumi Mashiho and you're still tuned in to Womanda. And I'm talking to Gretchen Wilson Pragley. So that took me a little bit of time because I was like, She's using a double barrel surname now. <laughs> Your husband must be pleased about that. But we're talking about the importance of play. We're talking about Play Africa Children's Museum. Gretchen is the CEO and founder of this phenomenal idea that's taking shape right here in Johannesburg. And I hope you are going to be one of the 200,000 first people that walk in through those doors when it eventually opens. Are you, are you close to opening? Um, what we're really working on. Because the more I hear about it, the, the more, more you excited. want it to open. And I'm just like, <gasps> I know. Even for myself, not yeah. just for my seven year old. Yeah, no, I know, of <laughs> course. Well, we look forward to, to welcome you. Um, so, you know, what we're doing is we're really, I, I think I started men- mentioning before, we're really trying to build a really treasured institution that's going to be around for the long term. And to do that, we just are taking this really systematic approach. So technically, as I mentioned, it's it's not hard to build a space like this. But to do what we want to do, we really want to create a space that really reflects the realities of South Africa, that really speaks to parents and children and families here. Um, and to do that, we want it to be really highly collaborative. So we've taken this really deliberate approach to do a lot of outreach. And so in doing that, um, we've been we're doing this kind of a long process and securing what we call our founding partners, which right now are Apex High Charitable Trust and the First Round Foundation, as well as a lot of supporting partners um, throughout this journey. So what we're really looking forward to now is securing what we call the land acquisition phase, securing the site. And what we're really, we really think we're quite close to that. And we'd like to make an announcement in June on that. Um, and we can start then saying, here's where it's going to be. And then what we'll be doing as we build, can you give us like a peek, like a peekaboo, mm, like a peekaboo. Um, <laughs> I'd love to give you a peekaboo. Um, and, the peekaboo is that it's a really a, a phenomenal, phenomenal space that we're really looking at when deep conversations with the city of Joburg about. Um, so city of Joburg centrally located. I yes. And that. I like to say it's an, it's an abridging area. It's in an area that, uh, unites different kinds of neighborhoods, um, with different demographics. So we don't want to just put it, plop it into the center of a space that reflects more of a, for lack of better words, a homogenous kind of population mix. We really want it to be a space that really brings together like a node, a hub, 
um, on, for all different kinds of families from across the city. So you, it'd be a place where you're going to hear lots of different languages spoken, lots of different people from different backgrounds. Um, you're going to want to feel like it's a place that's really a, a, a hub, a green hub for the city center, uh, for, for the city and for Hautang. So really our, our market is really the two million children between zero and ten across Hautang, as well as their families and their schools. So um, that's kind of what I can say about it. We've really created a model that it needs to be accessible by public transport for pedestrians, for bicycles, for um, uh, different modes of public transport, as well as by private car. It's got to be safe and perceived as safe by families. Um, it's got to be vibrant. Um, it can't just be in the middle of an industrial area that closes down after hours or things like that. Um, and then it has to be under our long-term control as a nonprofit organization, and it has to be affordable to us as a nonprofit in the long term. So we're really talking about building an organization that we want to have our gala event for the main flagship facility within the next couple of years, but then we would want it 100 years from now for our great-great-grandchildren to go in a, to a celebration that's like a uh, exciting gala event to celebrate the, the founders of this institution 100 years ago um, and to, to kind of the cherish kind of the memories that have been built in the space for 100 years. So that's the kind of long-term thinking we're doing. Now, in between opening our doors of the flagship facility and um, the land acquisition, which we hope to do soon, will be what we call our children's lab. And that children's lab will be where we're going to be piloting some of this stuff so that you'll be able to kind of get a taste, a little forsmaki of what this place is going to be about. <laughs> Gretchen, I love that word, forsmaki. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a South African and I've never heard that word used in the sentence. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> First money. Yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, so, so you asked a little bit about the themes. I don't know if you want me to yeah. get into that. Well, um, so, because uh, I'm, I'm uh, speaking of first monkeys, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to see, understand. So I have no idea where that place is going to be. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of all the places I know in, mm-hmm. and I can't figure it out. So mm-hmm. I just am going to have to fuss bait. Yeah. Fast bait till June. Mm-hmm. Then, but the themes that you'll be exploring yeah. in the space, in the space. Yeah. You know, when I think about site Bono, a. where they have a sound area, a. where they have a electricity area, but that's because they're science. Mm-hmm. Do you have that kind of mm. thinking in mind or is Absolutely, it just a yeah. big open space that's cool and fun and yeah. Colorful, primary yeah. colors everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Great question. So Saibono is a fantastic institution and, and in many ways it's the kind of closest comparison we can point to as a, of a, a kind of hands-on learning experience where we really see ourselves as, is filling a gap in that earlier years, um, and doing so in a way, um, that really is much more multidisciplinary when it includes things like science and technology, engineering, maths, um, but also into the arts, into the kind of humanities, into civic engagement, into kind of the depths of the person and, and, and really seeing every child as a unique um, individual full of potential in a way that transcends kind of a discipline, as it were, really kind of thinking about cross-disciplinary options. So you can kind of go to a, an environment and you have ways and touch points for different age groups. Because, of course, what you're going to provide for a six to 12 month old in terms of sensory stimulation, providing kind of some models of how you might, uh, you know, provide appropriate kind of stimulation to that infant would be a bit different for the toddler experience, which would be very different from the four to six-year-old experience, which would be very different from the six to eight and eight to ten. So all of these would be have these different touch points in these different uh, exhibit spaces. Um, we think that there are, I mean, in terms of themes, the themes will be very much um, uh, linked to the world that we live in and giving children a, a chance to access um, the world in, in an entirely new way. So first of all, we'll be having a, the big point will be around the natural world. One of the things that will set us apart from a lot of different children's museums around the world is the way in which we really incorporate the outdoor experience as well as the indoor. So how do we teach children about the rich biodiversity of South Africa? Um, how do we teach children about the indigenous um, fauna for here in, in South Africa, give children a kind of a hands-on experience in which they learn about the life cycle of a plant, for example. Um, but you'll have other things inside, like we'll have a mini city that will be like a miniature space in which you can access different kinds of um, things, like a radio studio. Imagine your child sitting here with earphones on, talking into a microphone, hearing themselves talk, and he- that 
how exciting that is for a young child. Um, a, a grocery store, a hair salon, you know, um, a bank, um, a veterinarian office, you know, all these kinds of spaces. There'll be a mini Joburg in a way that's really kind of wow and exciting. And what we think is really exciting about that is giving, um, uh, creating a space that's accessible for children and, and adults to take these different roles and to play these different roles in these spaces. And in doing so, modeling what we believe our city should look like. Every every citizen, every resident of the city should have equal access to these kinds of spaces. And we want to really model what a, a, a city that's truly integrated and truly inclusive can look like in the, in the, in the small vision. So, <laughs> you know, it's really mostly fun. It's not really about the didactic component of that, but it is really about creating a space that's really wow. And then beyond that, there'll be lots of other things that really relate to South Africa. Um, giving a child a glimpse into outer space and telling them a little bit about South Africa's role in the SKA telescope. Um, giving children a lot of information about nutrition and health in a way that can really be about public health kind of interventions in a really fun and playful way. So we really are bringing together a board of public health experts to say, you know, what kind of interventions might we think about trying to impact through offering a play-based experience to so many children, um, whether it's about wearing seatbelts or not smoking or eating a healthy meal. Um, so these are the kinds of things that we're playing with at the moment and we're designing at the moment. Um, we'll have spaces that are really about making things with real tools and real materials. So you get your hands into um, wood and screws and hammers and nails, or you can get into fabrics and using a real sewing machine to sew a two pieces of material together to take it home and to make something. That's really about creating an opportunity for children to conjure up an image in their mind and then to think about how they might try to execute that. So you can see the real learning implications of a space like this um, and doing so in a way that you couldn't get access to. Even the most well-equipped, posh private school in the city, um, this experience will be much different than that. And of course, there's lots of other play-based experiences that we'll, I could, I could go on and on. But <laughs> they're really um, uniquely poised to um, be really exciting for children, to be really world-class, and to invite grown-ups, not just to passively watch their children play, but to get involved if they so choose. The other thing I want to just mention about, you know, families spending time together and having this time together, is like you said, I'm, I'm a mom myself of a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And frankly, I'm always exhausted. I'm just exhausted. I am working hard and tired a lot of the time. <laughs> and so a lot of the roles and the reasons why these are the fastest growing kinds of spaces, kind of museums in the world, I think is because of the unique role they give to parents to almost to go to a space they know that their children are thought of, they're considered, and that children can spend time doing something that's highly stimulating and it allows the parents to actively participate or also to relax a bit in the presence of their children. Sit at a coffee shop and have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so there's places, places where like, you know, you, we're, we, we see a lot of, um, we see a lot of times what the role of these places can be for parents to connect with other parents while their children play in a wow experience in a way that you don't have to be entirely hands-on. You don't have to be kind of drained by the end of the time because you're so busy worried about what they're going to do. It takes care of itself. These spaces are so wow. They take care of themselves. You spoke about a very collaborative mm -hmm. getting involved. How how can I get involved? I'm listening to the show today, and I think this is so amazing. I'm yeah. in the area, and it's it appeals to, to me. Yeah. How can I get involved? Well, first of all, I'd love to invite every listener to visit our website, which is playafrica.org.za. And on there, you'll see the different ways to get involved. There's actually a link get involved. So please click on that link. Um, you'll see that the, I mean, right now, this is a, this is a major project, Pumi, and we're a nonprofit organization. What we've done over the last two years is set ourselves up to be, you know, the most watertight, uh, impeccable world-class nonprofit organization with regards to transparency and accountability and real, um, depth in terms of our planning. So what we're really looking for right now is really what we call Friends of Play Africa to join us. And we're looking, we are, we're looking, we, we have doors open for further founding partners, um, should there be listeners out there who are linked to institutions for whom might, this might be of interest. So, um, coming on board as a, as a, as a major founding partner, as a donor is one way. Coming on board as a friend of Play Africa is another way. Way. And that could include a donation and a monthly donation, but it also involve joining up and signing up as a volunteer and just joining us as a, as a friend of Play Africa. We really believe what we're creating is a new kind of space, again, modeling the kind of world that we want to live in. And I say this and I say it not to be glib or not to be kind of 
um, shallow, but we really want to create a space that's modeled on the values of the Constitution, of equality and of freedom and of human dignity. And how do we create that kind of space? We need really a broad um, movement of people in this city and around this country who believe in this mission and believe in this vision to offer every child an experience worthy of their potential um, and to join us to make that happen. And so we really say every every person, every child is born with innate possibility and potential, and every listener who's listening to this program is sitting there with innate power and potential to help make this vision a reality. So you might have skills um, that we need such as, you know, you're a fantastic um, photographer and you could help by volunteering to take a photograph at an event or you're a fantastic illustrator and you can help us create visions of what we're going to be doing. You're a child psychologist and you love working with children. You want to help us conceive in these spaces. You're a finance guy and you really love uh, listening. You would, you'd love to, you'd love to help us, um, think through some of our assumptions on our business plan. So these are the kinds of things that we're really looking for. Anyone who's listening has skills to bring to bear. You know, parents who are listening, who might think to themselves, I don't know what skills I really have, but I want to get involved. We want you. We want you to help us. I mean, we've through the conversations we've been having, people are hearing about us and people are calling us up from Pretoria saying, I live in Mamalodi. I want to be at your events. Can I help volunteer? What can I do? And are, are finding a way through hell or high water to get to where we are and to be part of this vision. So we really invite all listeners to be a part of that. And, to, and together, I think we can really create a space that is so unique and so exciting and to really, to really work towards a vision of making Johannesburg the most family friendly and child friendly city in South Africa. That's something that we really believe is possible in the next few years. And we really hope that together we can help transform the city uh, for children and families. And, and we ask for everyone's support to do that. That is an Absolutely amazing vision. It is. It's an amazing vision. And because you, I'm always looking for stuff to do, mm. always looking for stuff to do with the kids, always looking. And, and I get that. And, mm. and I think it's, it's an absolutely wonderful idea. And I really get involved. Go on the website, playafrica.org. Dot ZA. Dot, dot org dot ZA. Check it out. Click on the button, get involved. You can always do something. I think we definitely need to learn how to play more with each other mm. as South Africans and non-South Africans, as everybody living in this country. Mm. We definitely need to learn how to work better with each other. Mm. And in the process, we'll get to know each other and trust each other and and have, like you say, model a better way. Mm-hmm. Of being with each other. Thank you, Gretchen, for coming and chatting with me. It's you're so infectious. Every time I listen to you, you're so infectious. And it's just like, oh, no, but you are too. For me, you know the power you have. It's so. I want to do this. This is so <laughs> exciting and so amazing. So thank you very much thank for you, sharing. Pumi. Thank you for sharing what's inside of you. And I hope to all our listeners, you know, they can take a moment and just and join us. Join us. Join us. I thought so. Yesterday we had some training here at Cliff Central and one of the things that I learned yesterday is that it's incredibly important to have, if we're going to have music, to have music that's appropriate. This is one of my favorite songs, but it's also Jahim. It's called Fabulous. Mm. And he's got a bunch of kids singing and playing with him and it's about keeping your head up. I think South Africans, we need to keep our heads up right now yeah. and keep our heads together and learn to find one another in the spaces that we're at. After the song, we're talking to Celebrity Master Chef Judge. And about my other favorite topic, food. We're going to be talking about baking after this. Tina Best is coming up after this, but for now, enjoy Jahim. Yeah, UNITY is all we need to get our R-E-S-P-E-C-T. We've got to show each other some love. Keep our heads up. Keep our heads up. And on the radio, on the line, I have got Miss Tina Bester. She's better known as the Queen of Tarts. For all of y'all that are like me, watching Celebrity MasterChef every week and drooling over all of that food, you will know her as Judge. And a couple of weeks ago, the fi- the finale... Um, Ed, and it was 
it was a bake-off. Mm, interesting choice for a finale. And she's been on the line for a couple of minutes. Hello, Tina. Hi. Hi. Thank you for How holding. You? Thank you My for holding and thank you for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. Tina, that last episode, <laughs> that yes. bake-off. The crazy, the crazy cake bake-off. <laughs> <laughs> that bake-off must have had you chilling because you're the queen of tarts. What was that last episode like? I know for me watching at home, it was, it's quite a stressful little thing watching people, um, Trying to pull off, <laughs> trying to pull off an elaborate creation like elaborate that. Elaborate cake, yes. <clears throat> well, it's it's um, it was quite an interesting process for me because you know none of them are bakers at all, but um, I think they actually did a pretty good job for a first time with using sugar paste, which is you know nine years down the line, I'm still I still get a bit stressed out about it. So I think they did a they did a fine job with what they the short amount of time that they had had to work with. I know it was a two-day challenge, but when you are under that kind of pressure, it you know it just flies by like that. <laughs> so you are known as the Queen of Tarts, and of those Tarts. Cape Townians among us, or those well-heeled Joe Burgers who make it down to Cape Town, know all about your fabulous creations. <laughs> yes, we've been we've been going for for nine and a half years now. And, and what got uh, you into baking? I mean, baking is so stressful. You, you know, know, it's, you know the sugar, the <laughs> the sugar, the butter, the milk, and then will it rise? Will it not? Will it flop in the middle? It's such a stressful experience. What got you it, all it's interested? A lot, yeah, it's a lot more scientific than than actually cooking. And I'm actually a graphic designer by profession, so um, I used to love to cook, but was never really a baker before I opened Queen of Tarts. So it's been a huge learning curve for me. And um, and like I say, it's a lot more scientific than it is than than it is is um, um, for cooking. You know, cooking, you can kind of throw a little bit different and a little bit of that in and you can still get a good end result. But if you do that with baking, you could end up with a complete flop. <laughs> so it is a lot more scientific. So it's been a, like I said, it's been a, been a, a big learning curve and, you know, finding delicious recipes that, you know, we don't use, we don't use sort of um, very unusual ingredients and everything, but we make a delicious carrot cake, a beautiful hummingbird cake. We've got a fantastic chocolate cake that we use. So we, we've, we've, uh, we've tested and tried all sorts of different recipes and then made up our own ones to actually get the perfect recipe. So I didn't know you were a graphic designer, which makes absolute sense now when I think about how gorgeous the books actually look. Because you, <laughs> you also published a couple of recipe books. Yes, I've done six, six recipe books. Yeah. So, and um, I, I didn't design them myself. That's what the, the publisher did, but I did all the food styling on them. She was. That's a big. Yeah. That, that, so for a girl like me, I really like food. A lot of people know this by now, and I really like cakes. <laughs> We've got five minutes before we go. What's a quick and foolproof recipe that any one of us, no matter how like dull and non-scientific you are, one could bang together that's your favorite and impress that could impress guests at a, at a at a little soiree um okay so are you wanting are you wanting an actual recipe just <laughs> give me a name and i'll go look for it <laughs> well our chocolate cake our chocolate cake recipe is absolutely divine and i love to actually just mix it up a little bit so sometimes i put a, a chocolate mousse in between it so i layer the cake with the chocolate mousse Sometimes I actually make a chocolate pour meringue, which I put on the, in the top of the cake. So you've got a chocolate cake, a chocolate mousse, and then a chocolate pour meringue on top. Oh. You can really kind of, you know, those are all kind of basic recipes that you have. You know, everybody's got a good chocolate mousse recipe. Everybody's got a good chocolate cake recipe and a meringue one. And then you can actually mix it up and put them all together and wow your guests like that. Yeah. <laughs> I may have to stop by and get a cake when I leave the studio just now. Just okay. listen. Just listening to you talking about that. <laughs> Tina, your favorite moment. I know what my favorite moment was on the show, but what were what your, your favorite moment? <laughs> oh, you, so I like it when, when the pressure really gets on, when the pressure really gets on and, and things are all going. So I'm that kind of person. I like to watch people like crumbling under the pressure. But for you, you are under a different kind of pressure as a judge. So what were your favorite moments? Um, I think the final, the final moment when you see everything come together. 
and and also then just you know when in in that first because it was a two day two day challenge. So on the first day they baked all their cakes, and what was actually great to see because they were all kind of like sort of stressing and you know about getting all their cakes in into the oven and stuff, and they all got quite creative with their with their recipes. Um, you know they were adding adding Maybelline um, added <laughs> coconut oil to her. Unfortunately, it was her, it was her downfall, but. Um, um, Terence got very creative. His cakes were absolutely delicious. Chris kind of stuck to the recipe, and he cooked his cakes beautifully. I mean, they were really delicious, delicious cakes. So I like to see when actually when you know they they get creative, but it all works out in the end. That was the the best part for me. And for a person who's a first time baker, I'm kind of going to try it out because I mean we see we see all this food stuff happening on TV, and you think I could do that. Yeah. Ready, steady, bake. You know, you kind of go. I could do that. First time baker. What are the easy, easy wins that one should try and go for? The easy recipes. Yeah. Um, you know, cupcakes are a great thing to actually experiment with because you can um, you can make them look beautiful and they're nice little sort of bite sizey kind of kind of cakes. And um, you can also experiment with all sorts of different icings on them as well. So instead of you know, having to, having this big elaborate three tiered cake where it's quite tricky to actually cover them perfectly with with the different kinds of icings. You have a batch of ice. You have a batch of cups. So you've got twelve cupcakes, and you can do all sorts of different kinds of icings and really kind of experiment with what you actually, um, you know, what your sort of forte is. So whether it's a butter icing or a sugar paste icing, and then you can you can really play around with things. Oh. That's that's definitely it's one of my weaknesses. I, I, actually, I have to keep catching my breath because like my mouth is watering right now. But Tina, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. I it's really enjoyed every moment of that final show on MasterChef. Okay. <laughs> and next time I'm in Cape Town, I'm going to pop by. I'm definitely going to pop by. And, okay, excellent. And see, and see what much. you've got on offer there. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> that was Tina Bester. She was Celebrity Master Chef Finale, one of the judges at the finale. But she's also affectionately known as the Queen of Tarts. If you're in Cape Town, take take a walk around to her place and um, try out some of her delicious recipes. And today has really been an amazing show for me. I wasn't feeling so great when we started, but just talking about food and talking about playing and talking about all the amazing things that are happening out there has really brought brought me back to life. And I'm going to ask Greg if he's got a winner for me. He's looking at me across from the other from the other side of the window kind of like, "Huh, he's coming over. If he's got a winner, I think I'm going to let Cindy tell you who won the galaxy. <laughs> Cindy is also sitting out there getting ready for the show. Stay tuned. And I'm Pumema Shekho. Thank you for joining me here on Womandla. I'm back again next week. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff.